Hello, and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and I want to let you know, as Greg already did, um, how much I appreciate you choosing to be here, to be present and participate with us this morning. It is uh, good to be with you. Um, <clears throat> and I also want to say thank you to those who are listening online through our live feed. Thank you for joining us in that way. Um, as we begin, I want to point out in your bulletin, uh, there is a space that's blank on the inside right, and that is there for you to use today if you want to jot down questions, verses, ideas, doodle, whatever you want to do to process this morning's teaching, whatever will help you, please take advantage of that. And if you're listening online, I'd encourage you to grab a piece of paper to do the same. Today, we are closing out our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount that we've entitled, You've Heard It Said where we've been looking at the sermon that Jesus taught, considered by many to be the greatest, most powerful, challenging sermon ever given. And if we go back the first eight weeks or so of this study, we looked at the beginning of this sermon known as the Beatitudes and saw Jesus begin teaching in this, uh, to this very kind of diverse crowd. You name it, they were there. And as he's teaching, he's using this very rhythmical series of phrases and these cool kind of sounding paradoxical teachings intended to paint us a picture of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And with each stroke of the brush and with each kind of rhythmical phrase, Jesus shows us how very different it is to live uh, God's way versus the way of the world. Jesus then transitioned from the Beatitudes to discuss this idea of being salt and light, where the emphasis started to shift to ownership. In that as Jesus is painting this picture, we are now being invited to experience and own this righteousness that's being described that only comes from God in the work of Holy Spirit in our lives. To commit ourselves to living out this picture of the kingdom of God as his representatives, as God's children in our day-to-day -day life to be the salt and light we are because of the grace of God for the glory of God. And it's this shift of Jesus pressing us into practice and action where the tone changes and it starts to get real, really personal. We're challenged to see ourselves and to name things about ourselves on our own without Christ at work in our lives. And we found that much like the Pharisees and the scribes of the day, and really all humanity since the fall in the garden, that we tend to avoid, we tend to hide, we tend to tell lies and live out lies, trying to depict ourselves in an inaccurate, inauthentic way from who we really are. And so this shift had to do with ownership and particularly about how we like to avoid the truth or hide the truth so to make ourselves look better than we really are. Jesus uses this language over and over again. You've heard it said, and each time he exposes the reduction of the law that occurred under the scribes and the Pharisees and then proceeds to give his truly authoritative clarification to the real nature of righteousness as it was intended in the Torah. Ultimately, what Jesus tells us is that we can't do any of this that he's describing on our own. It's impossible. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit to live out this picture of the kingdom of God. And so today, as we close out this series, it's going to be absolutely clear once again that we need God. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43. Um, if you don't, that's fine. The text will be displayed on the wall behind me, um, but you can follow along however you would like. Matthew chapter 5, 
starting with verse 43. It says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, again, we come together uh, collaboratively as friends, as family, as neighbors to worship you, to remember what you've done for us, your grace, your mercy, your unconditional love. And God, we come together again to hear from you through your word, through your Holy Spirit at work in our midst, and we ask that we would hear from you, um, that we would understand what it is you want us to hear, and not just hear and understand, but God, we would respond according to your will. Even if that goes beyond anything we could possibly imagine, Holy Spirit, empower us to do so. We love you and thank you for the opportunity to be together. We ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, right off the bat, we see the same language we've seen over the last few weeks, this you've heard it said language. But this time we see something a little different that's really worth noting. In previous weeks, Jesus has quoted a section of the Ten Commandments or the Torah in some form and then highlighted how the Pharisees and scribes of the day had reduced it or translated it in a way to make it more obtainable so that they could feel righteous based on actions. For example, they'd say, uh, I haven't broken the law that says don't murder because I haven't physically murdered or killed someone, which makes sense if that's all the law meant. But Jesus shows us the depth of the law and says it's not that easy. Jesus says, you've reduced it for your benefit. The truth is, is that if you get angry at anyone for any reason, if you pass judgment on anyone for any reason, you have broken this law. Which, again, makes everybody go, oh, snap. Apparently now I am a murderer, just like everybody else. Right? And, and we recognize our need all of a sudden that where we thought we weren't in this category, we now are. We need God's grace. We need the Holy Spirit. And we've been seeing this pattern over and over again. Today, though, we see something a little different. Jesus says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And what's different about this is that this saying is not a straight quote from the Torah. Jesus is referring to Leviticus 19.18, which says this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, hopefully you can see that it doesn't say anything about hating your enemy. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does God command anyone to hate their enemy. So in this case, not only do we have the Pharisees and scribes reducing the law, they've actually added to it or misapplied other Old Testament texts to help them feel like this is doable. They've done so so much that this big, diverse crowd all know this saying that he just quoted. Now, to be fair, 
there are scriptures that talk about hate that they could have drawn from to get this understanding. For example, Psalm 139 says this, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are, real, are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Well, that's pretty strong language. And this is a really good example because this is a human being honest before God. He's talking to God, expressing real feelings that all of us have as humans with regards to our enemies. We see things as transactional, right? You hit me, and I'll hit you back. You hurt me, and I'm going to want to hurt you. If you hate me, I'm going to want to hate you back. And, and we even apply that to people who do things to people we care about. You hate my kid, you hate my family, I'm going to hate you back. But hopefully you can see this is not a text that's advocating hate for our enemies or for anyone, for that matter. And this is really clear when we see the verses that follow. Verses 23 and 24 say this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. You see, the teachers of the law took this phrase, your people, from the Leviticus text that we just looked at, right? Anyone among your people. And they took that to mean the Jews only. So generally speaking, they saw any and all people who were not Jews as their enemies. And we see this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself taught multiple times by Jesus throughout the Bible. And every time Jesus shows us that everyone is our neighbor, he expands this definition. That it's not just about being a Jew. The Pharisees and scribes had not just reduced the law, they had changed it so much so that this phrase was known by all these people standing there, but the phrase that they understood this idea and this understanding was not true. It wasn't even scripture. So Jesus says, you've heard this saying, but let me tell you the truth. Do not receive this. uh, The truth is, right, but I tell you, love your enemies And pray for those who persecute you. That's the truth. Now, remember this crowd of people that Jesus is speaking to is super diverse. It included the very people that the Pharisees and scribes treated as enemies. The same people they saw as unclean and unrighteous. The same people they hated. Everyone in the crowd is feeling the power of this truth. And so should we. Jesus is saying, look around. Love your neighbor as yourself and pray for those who persecute you. Now it's challenging not just the Pharisees to love, but all the non-Jews are being called to love as well. Everyone is being called not just to love their enemies, but they're being called to pray for those that persecute them. And they're standing in the midst of the people who are doing that very thing to them, every one of them. And Jesus says that when we practice this, we show ourselves to be the children of God because we are being like our Heavenly Father. Now, 
Some of you know who my kids are. I love them both, Jack and Gladdy. And those of you who are parents, um, at, some pro- point, at some point in your life, you probably had a situation where someone said, you know, your kid looks just like you, something like that. Uh, which they probably should, right, because they're your kids. Uh, but recently, I've had people tell me that my son Jack walks like me. Um, or that he acts like me. And now to be clear, I don't sit around and instruct my son in how to walk, right? I don't sit around and tell him to act just like me. But he's my son, and I'm his dad. And there are things that he does. There's actions that he lives out. There's phrases, for better or for worse, that he says. And apparently, the way he literally walks in some form or fashion, makes it clear that he's my son. I still don't totally know what that means. But Jesus says when we do this, when we love our enemies as ourselves, when we pray for those who persecute us, we make it clear that we are God's children. And to say it another way, if my son Jack did what Jesus is saying here, it wouldn't be a sign that he's my child because I can't do this on my own. He would be displaying the truth that he is a son of God because only God can do this. And the only way Jack could do this is by him living out his faith by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in and through him, revealing that he is a child of God. Just like in some crazy way, my son represents me as his father in some of the ways he walks in his actions. We can do the same when we live this out in relationship to others. We represent Christ. We become salt and light. We become representatives of the very true, ever-present Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father. This is done in the way that we love because God is love. Look at what Jesus says as the text continues. He says, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Which in the crowd right now, the tax collectors are like, uh, right? It's getting super personal. And if you greet only your own people, again, there's that phrase, own people, the Jews, whatever. What are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Everybody's looking around like, okay, this is really personal, Jesus. He's addressed everyone. He's lowered the way of this situation where everybody's on the same plane. Jesus describes the very nature of God, the God of love, and says that God brings the life-giving sun to rise and the life-giving rain to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. God does not discriminate in any form or fashion to anyone. Everyone needs the sun. Everyone needs the rain. And God gives both to everyone all the time. It's a picture or an analogy of a God that gives life to all out of grace, not out of merit, even to his enemies. This is the grace and love of God. And Jesus is inviting us to take ownership of this reality as we've experienced it, and calling us to live it out with the people we experience. So, let's be honest now, as we've had to do the last couple weeks, and name a truth about ourselves on our own. On our own, we're enemies of God. 
We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've reduced the law to hide the truth of our brokenness. We hide from God. We live as if we don't need God most of the time. We ignore God. We steal. We judge. We murder. We commit adultery. We try to manipulate prayer for our own good. We break promises. We hate. We're enemies of God. But God is love, and God loves all of us. Amen? That's an amen right there, I think. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we've experienced this truth. Those of us who have received and have been filled with the Holy Spirit, those of us who have confessed the truth of our utter need of God, and those who have been transformed by the love of God, those of us who have experienced this truth about the unconditional love and grace of God are called to live out what we've experienced to others so that they would know the same truth. We're supposed to do this with everyone, enemies included. 1 John 4 says it this way. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, that word complete that we see here in this text is the same word we see come up in our text in Matthew. Jesus goes on to say in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that word translated here as perfect is the same word translated as complete in 1 John. And it's important to understand this word because being perfect sounds impossible, right? Which is partly the point. Again, we can't do this on our own. That's, if there's anything we get out of the Sermon on the Mount, is it's that we need God in order to do this. We need the Holy Spirit. And nothing makes this more clear than the call to be perfect. But what does this word really mean? What's Jesus saying here? Well, it's actually a lovely word. And I hope that you take it as an invitation from God. The word in the Greek is the word teleos. And it means brought to an end finished, mature, full-grown, intended goal, complete, wanting nothing necessary to completeness or whole. In other words, Jesus is not saying be perfect without flaws, pure, or to be holy as I am holy. Thank God, because we can't do that, right? What Jesus is saying is that I'm calling you to make this your determined goal, your means to an end, your process of growth and maturity, I'm calling you to live into this, to practice this, and as you do, you'll grow, you'll mature, you'll get better at it, and you'll be transformed more and more in the very image of God that you were created to be like. When asked by his disciples about which of the commandments is the most important, 
Jesus answers them, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is our intended goal. This is our means to an end. This is what we are to strive to do, to love all like Jesus illustrated for us on the cross that we remember every single week in communion. The scriptures say that Jesus is the exact representation of God and that God is love. So as children of God, we need to strive towards, to grow in, to practice, to live out the picture of unconditional love and grace towards all, even our enemies, just like Jesus illustrated to each and every one of us and each and every one of us out there. So as we close our series and hear this final call from Jesus to love all, even our enemies, to make this our ultimate goal, I think it's important to make some space to reflect on this as a form of application, because these are a lot of nice words to say, but what does this look like? And so to do this, let's first be honest about this idea of enemies. Many of you may be sitting here going, this shouldn't be too hard, Rich, I don't really have a lot of enemies, right? The way we think of enemies might not attach to what's going on here. So it's important for us to think about what does it mean to have enemies? Do we have enemies? So to help us get a picture of what our enemy is and how to understand whether we have them is to understand this. So in the most general way, our enemies are anyone who has ill thoughts about you, who avoids you, who persecutes you in any way for any reason, who curses you, who hates you, who gossips about you, makes fun of you. And this could be a family member, could be a neighbor, could be a coworker, could be a teammate, could be a fellow citizen, a government representative, local or foreign, could be a coach, could be a teacher. In other words, just about anyone who does not like us for any reason, in a sense, is our enemy. And just to help you out, we all have them. So what I want you to do with your bulletin, you can open it up, and I just want you to just take a moment, like 30 seconds, to write down some names. Because it's really important for us to think about who those people are. Who are those people that treat us this way for whatever reason? Because we can really easily act as if we don't have this in our life. But the reality is we all do. So just take a moment to do that. Maybe write down some names. Now, to flip it the other way, do you have people in your life that you ignore, that you despise, that you avoid, that you speak ill about? Do you have people that you curse or hate or persecute or make fun of or mess with? Do you have people that you gossip about? or people you say negative things about on social media? 
Again, it could be a family member, a coach, a neighbor, coworker, government representative, or political party, an ethnic group, a teacher, doesn't matter. Do you have any people that you treat in some form or fashion this way? You're like an enemy too. And again, take a moment to, to think about that. Maybe write down the names of those people you just know. You do that too. And as you think about that, I'm going to give you an example just to prove that we have enemies and we treat others as enemies. So you all know that I purposely try to keep my private thoughts about political stances on things um, to myself. And there's a lot of reasons why, and I'm not going to go into all of those, but you're not going to hear me ever talk about it here, stances. What if I got up here today and told you today that I am the biggest Trump supporter, that I thought he was the best president ever, and that anyone who thought differently was ignorant and deceived? That I took advantage of this platform to come out and say that. That will well up responses in you. And it's different depending on who you are. And just hearing that with truth and honesty, if I was to do that, would affect how you see me, how you treat me, whether you choose to engage in conversation with me, whether you would pursue or choose to avoid me. It may make you leave this church. We all do this. And some of those categories that we do this with are really serious, and some of them are so petty. So it's important for us to recognize Jesus is saying this is a consequence. This is an issue for all of us. We treat people as enemies, and we have people who treat us as their enemies. Who are those people? Because Jesus is calling us to live in a different way, to love all, to love our enemies just as God loves all. This is the goal. This is the means to an end. This is how people will know that we are children of God. Now, again, easy to say, how do we do this, right? Well, what does Jesus say? He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus adds to this in Luke chapter 6, 27 through 28. He says this, but to you who are listening, hopefully that includes us, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Love, do good, bless, pray. So again, let's get personal. Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed for your enemies, for your neighbors, for those who persecute you, who hate or curse or mistreat you? When was the last time you blessed these people? The word used here for love is this word in the Greek, agape. It's not about emotions. It's not about how we love our family, our friends. This is a word that's talking about action. First Corinthians 13 gives us all this action about love, and it describes what it should look like in relationship. And when you hear this, it gets used a lot in weddings. I do a lot of weddings. I can't tell you how many times I've read this text. But it's really intended for us to understand how God loves us and how we are supposed to love others. 
It says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then it gets really specific. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the depiction of what we've experienced in a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is inviting us to take an ownership of that and share that and show that to others. And our enemies included, everyone. And the truth is, we get so caught up, we don't even remember that this is how Jesus has treated us, let alone to remember it in a way to share it with others, which is one of the reasons why we come here every single week. This is why we take communion every single week. This is why we pray together every week. Because we need to be reminded of what God has done for us, how he showed us this, so that we can go and represent that to others. So as we close, I'd like the worship and the prayer team to come forward. And as they do, I want us to give us a little more space to reflect and respond. Because I believe Jesus is really challenging us today. I've been challenged by this in preparation. Think of it this way, just like we need our very next breath to breathe, just like we all need the sun, especially here in Seattle, the rain we generally get plenty of, Um, we all need compassion, we need grace and mercy, we need to own that that is a need of ours, and that God above all is the one who provides it and has provided it. And as we recognize that, that brings joy, right? It it gives us a picture. We've experienced it. We know it firsthand, and we can share it with others. And so as we take a moment to remember all that God has done for us, I want us to also give thanks, but I want us to set that as our goal, our means to an end, to love, to do good, to bless, to pray those for those who are our enemies. The scripture says to love, to pray, do good, and bless the good and the bad, the righteous and the unrighteous, the poor and the rich, the clean and the unclean, all colors of skin and ethnic backgrounds, all sexual orientations, all political leanings, people who put pineapple on their pizza and those who are wise. Just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You get the picture, right? that all would know something of the amazing love of Jesus our Savior through how we in turn love others. So the band's going to play instrumentally for a bit, allow us some space to ponder, both again remembering what Christ has done for us that we could share it with others, but um, there's some reflection questions. If you want to write these down, you can. You don't need to. They could just be in this space, in this kind of safe place to reflect. You can just think about some of these or maybe one of them. Questions being, who have I been an enemy to? Who have I been treating this way? Or number two, who are my enemies? And with that, what am I doing about that?
How is God calling me to love them? Number four, which is hardest for you to do with these people? To love them, to pray for them, uh, to do good, to bless them. Why is that hard? And it should be hard, right? This is not something we can do on our own. And number five, how will you respond to these words from Jesus today? So as the band plays, uh, you can use these questions with the space, whatever you want. Pray, confess, own, give thanks, receive, be filled, whatever you need to in this time. Take that. Um, I want to note that the prayer team is here. Um, If you'd like prayer for any reason, please come to them. They would uh, love the honor to pray with and for you. Uh, I'm going to close us in prayer. We'll have this time of reflection and we'll continue with our time. Father, Son, Spirit, we just thank you. We thank you. We're reminded of all the ways you have loved us. How in so many ways we've been an enemy to you. And yet you, you still bring the sun You still bring the rain. You still give us a breath to breathe. You show us your mercy and your grace and your compassion and your love at every moment. And we've done nothing to deserve it. As we close out this series, God, we're reminded again of how beautiful this call is and how impossible it is for us to do on our own. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would again fill us to overflowing, help us to be your vessels, your representatives, help us to live like we are your children. Help us, uh, God, with those people who are very difficult for us. Help us to love them and to pray for them, to do good and to bless them. Yeah, God, give us a vision of what this looks like Give us your power and be with us as we process this together as a body. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.